And boom, we're back for another episode of AlphaCast. I'm Mike Winner, and I'm here as always with the mighty Dr. Bear Paul Lando, coming to you live and direct from the Smith River in the great state of Jefferson, where freedom still reigns supreme. It's like spring this week. We got a warm trend that came in. I'm loving it. I was pruning trees uh, last night as the sun was setting. Uh, our fruit trees in the food forest made a little video and shared that with the community and uh, yeah, got to get out there and get those trees pruned and get ready because before we know it, Bear, spring will be here and we'll be in planting season again. Uh, it's uh, It happens like that, huh? <laughs> I think it's here today. It certainly feels like it. I think we're going to hit the high 60s today, uh, which I'm not complaining on. However, it is interesting how we got deluged in December, the whole state. Flooding, um, insane uh, mudslides, and all these issues. Uh, and then now I'm looking at the forecast, and it's just beautiful, gorgeous, sunny days for the um, for the foreseeable future. Which uh, it will get a little cold again, but no precipitation, which is a bummer because I'm looking to ski and snowboard this month. So definitely the weather manipulators are at it, um, and uh, we will do everything to harmonize with the technologies that we have inside us to counter that, which we'll probably touch on a little bit today as we dive into uh, the agrarian renaissance, which is happening and very proud to be a front runner or at least somebody involved with that through Alpha Vedic. I've learned so much uh, in the last 10 years, thanks to Baron Deb. We will be touching on a lot of subjects today. Essentially, Last week, we were involved with the Greater Reset. Uh, huge shout out to John Bush and Derek Bros for putting that on. Year four was a great success. Bear was um, involved on the Permaculture Day. You gave a great presentation. However, it was cut short, and uh, there was just so much information to get out in a very short amount of time. So we decided what we would do is we would uh, take that information and do a longer format discussion today, a la AlphaCast. And we fortunately had a snafu in the uh, scheduling on the calendar. So we had this day open. So it worked out really good. So we'll be going deep into that. Uh, I will say Austin was wonderful, Bear. I had a great time in Bastrop, Texas. Met a lot of Alpha Vedic heads uh, that came up to me. And it was just so uh, soul gratifying and just really seals the deal on why we're doing this show it uh, when you go in person, you meet the folks out there that listen to us and that are involved with everything we're doing, and actually get in the presence of their physical form. There's nothing more gratifying, and I will say, Bear, we've touched a lot of hearts, and a lot of people have literally changed their lives, uh, not just because of us, but inspired by us and other shows out there that are doing the work, other friends of ours that are living the life, living the way. And it was really cool to see how many people are now living alternative lives uh, based on the agrarian principle, which we'll be touching on today. And it was great also hanging out with Alex Zach, seeing he and his lovely wife. Uh, they are so awesome. Got to hang out with the artist Zuby a bunch. We become, uh, I would say, homies. I mean, we, we had some deep dives and had breakfast on Sunday morning. Uh, that was really cool. That guy is not... There's this controlled op stuff being thrown around constantly. And with him, especially, I guess, in our scene, people are calling him controlled op, whatever that means these days. I'll just tell you from my personal experience with him, he's a very authentic, real human being. 
that for me seems to be really navigating uh, the world in a moral way. Uh, I mean, obviously, I don't know him personally that well, but from what I could gather from his physical presence, for someone of that caliber, or excuse me, of that sort of, um, you know, the artist that's known that well, to be doing what he's doing was impressive to me. And he actually is really in, uh, embodying the hip hop ethos in a way that's really cool. So uh, that was my take from the event. Uh, how about you, Bear? Awesome. Just a disclaimer, though, we are controlled up ourselves. We're controlled by the divine sources of light. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. Uh, yeah, man. it was great. I was uh, I was honored to be invited to be a guest speaker at the event. Um, the you know everybody had short time slots and uh, I had some technical difficulties, so I was a little not on my A game, but uh, I, I guess some people enjoyed it. So we'll just uh, expound a little bit more on that today. And um, you, you're you about to make an announcement on your event too as well, aren't you? Yeah, I guess I'll make that announcement. Or, so. or, is, or did I let the cat out of the bag too early? No, not at all. I was actually planning to do it today and I'm very excited. I want to make two announcements and this has not been publicly announced yet. Um, however, I think Matt and Owen will be cool with me announcing this is related to Music and Sky. One, we have the dates officially. We haven't even announced them through Music and Sky yet, but um, maybe I'll hold off on announcing the dates because we haven't okay. signed the contract yet. But <clears throat> it's going to happen. Uh, and I will, I am very, very happy to announce that Dr. Bear Paul Lando will be there as our keynote speaker for this year's Music and Sky. Finally. Awesome. I am so pumped to have you I there, took buddy. A little, took a little work through my agent to come to terms for my speaking fee, but we're there, I think. Yeah, um, we're still working on the contract. You know, all those attorneys, man, uh, they really get in the way. <laughs> um, but uh, someone's asking what month. Um, it's going to be this summer, okay? And I just, I, I'm, I'm hesitant to, well... You know what? I'll just announce it because we're there. We're, you know, we're just getting the final deal done. So it's going to be August 18th through the 21st, which is right around my birthday. And am I allowed to say for you too, Bear? It's um, right around yours as well. And um, we are in negotiations with some a really awesome artists I just mentioned to possibly perform. That is definitely not settled yet i don't know if we can afford him but he's he did say he would love to come perform and having bear be the keynote speaker is something that i've wanted for years to happen that was originally what we wanted to do on the very first music in sky but it was very difficult for him to leave the farm and finally thanks to you guys and all your support we're getting an, uh, more support on the land to allow for bear and deb to be able to leave occasionally and it also helps that the venue is only an hour from their grandchild so that makes it uh, that more um, easily accessible for you guys as an excuse to go down and see your fam and then scoot on over for the event. So it's working out. Yeah, great. I, I'm pumped. I've, I've, yeah, I've wanted to do it for a while and um, just can't leave the farm though. So I think we can sneak away for a few days with uh, some folks holding down the fort for us here. So yeah, yeah. super pumped. Yeah, you got it, Sam. Uh, Bear will be at Music and Sky. Um, I was actually texting with Alex Zek earlier because he's definitely coming. He and his wife, he's he's in for like Flynn for all of them. Eileen McCusick as well. Uh, fingers crossed that Kelly can make it out. 
so a lot of powerful, powerful people are now in the Music and Sky family. Of course, our regulars, Melissa Sell, Dr. Edith, all of our good friends that bear you know very well as uh, too. Uh, you know, so it's uh, the family is just growing. Um, but yes, uh, Bear is going to get mobbed at <laughs> Music and Sky. Guys, let him get into the event. Let him get his space. Give him some room. I know uh, you're definitely going to be one of the most known people there. So uh, very, very exciting. Hmm. Uh, Isn't that the darndest thing? <laughs> okay. So um, where do we want to start today? Uh, well, I'm going to let you take uh, I want to jump right into it. But I just wanted to uh, give a quick shout out to our good friend, Marty Leeds. His new book, Scriptures in the Stars, is out. Mike, I got you a copy there, so I'll give it to you. I'm really excited about this one because it's all about deciphering the scriptures through what's above our head. And we're actually going to be talking about what's above our head in today's presentation, too. But uh, this is a really, really good one. The last book was stellar, uh, pun intended. And uh, this one I'm really looking forward to. And anybody who hasn't uh, tuned into Marty's uh, Sunday sessions, I'd highly recommend it. They're awesome. Good way to to start out with a, a really good eclectic, uh, in-depth understanding of, of what's really being said in the scriptures. So I enjoy them immensely. And thank you, Marty, for your great work. Okay, so hey, and um, and just to follow up on that real quick, Bear, um, we booked Marty. Mm -hmm. He'll be coming on AlphaCast again to talk about oh, awesome, the and he'll be coming oh, on um get uh, uh Holy Thursday, uh, which I feel was a fitting date for him to come on. So it'll be Holy Thursday so before what's, Easter. What's oh okay, so the day before Good Friday. Correct. You're a good Catholic boy. You know Holy Thursday, Good Friday, or is it Holy or it's you know oh, it's I Holy have Saturday. Saying great, yeah. It's Holy Saturday. I'm just saying. <laughs> go ahead. I was got just going to say, there, I so got it's... confused. I don't know if Thursday's even a special holy day or not. Uh, it's Good Friday, Holy Saturday, and then Easter Sunday. But anyways, the Thursday before uh, Good Friday, yeah. Well, we'll make it holy, whether it is or not. I wasn't a big fan of uh, Lent and Good Friday and all that as a kid because, you know, the nuns and everybody made you give up something and, you know. Of course, we did a little sneaking on the side. Figured yes. God wasn't looking yes. if I wanted to eat a piece of candy that I gave up for Lent or something. So, okay, let's get into this here. Okay, you know what so, I'm going to do, Mike? Uh, go ahead. I, I think we have an exaggerated uh, voice um, lag on my end. So, sorry, I keep talking over you here. No, no worries. Um, I should be used to that by now. My bad. Um yeah, I was going to say, do you want to share your screen? We could start out that way, or do you want to do a, an intro and kind of what was the inspiration behind this presentation first? Yeah, um, when we did part one of agrarianism, it was um, loosely followed an article that Deb and I wrote for 4th of July a few years ago for some uh, local newspapers uh, here in Oregon and Northern California. And uh, it was called Agrarianism, A Path to Sociopolitical and Personal Freedom. Now, in that part one, we went through it length, uh, you know, the entire article, because it's a little lengthy, and then also did a lot of, uh, a lot of color com commentary along the way. Uh, what I'd like to do is start just by reading the first paragraph. And um, 
I think it's a good way to set the intention and the uh, the vibe here. So here we go. The oh, it, it was called the Roots of Freedom, and uh, the name of the article. The 4th of July has become a holiday built upon caricatures from a time remote with little relevance in today's world. Why did the founding fathers risk everything to create a new nation? From what wellspring did they find the resolve to face the hardships that would surely follow their audacious claim of sovereignty? We are taught of their passion for freedom, but what did freedom really mean to the early colonists? The colonies were an agrarian affair. This we know for certain. It would surprise many, however, to realize how their affinity to the land became the driving force in birthing a new country. Farming and horticulture were counted as the most noble of pursuits, and one's right to till a single portion of the Earth's surface was emblematic of freedom itself. The decision to formally notice the crown through the Declaration of Independence was not founded upon a capricious notion. Regulations, taxes, permit fees, coercion of purchase, British goods, and mandatory crop provisioning to Great Britain all contributed to the inevitable critical mass that precedes all times of great change. Gone were the emotional ties to Mother England as new generations of colonists fully imprinted in the new world. The acknowledgement of a single creator as the universal authority left little room for earthly allegiances blasphemous to matters of spirit, while the heavy-handedness of the redcoats would tip the final scales. And then it goes on, but that's all I wanted to read for today. And here we are again, right, Mike? Indeed. Uh, yeah, that was a great alpha cast we did beginning of last year touching on the agrarian roots of the republic and how the forefathers uh really were tied to the land and understood that uh jefferson especially was saying when we um lose that connection and are uh allured by the by technologies especially but also commercialism and um and, and of course the banksters uh fiat uh money uh immediately the republic will be in massive jeopardy and of course we've been watching that happen uh since the words came out of his mouth absolutely so today we'd like to expand on that and also uh within a different context uh at the um at the event where i spoke it was all about permaculture farming self-sufficiency and sovereignty by our connection with the land and i would like to try to expand the concept of permaculture farming just like with bioterrain medicine um you have to sit back and take an expanded panoramic to really understand how you address the bioterrain and when i say bioterrain it's inter interchangeable uh, to me with a permaculture farm, because you're looking at an intelligent design as we as co-creators, you know, use, uh, you know, a portion of land, not only to be self-sufficient, but to, uh, you know, really root ourselves in order to make the claim of sovereignty. And as we know, through our study of lawfare, the game afoot has been to bring us out into sea and let us uh 
remain adrift without any connection to the land. And literally, that's the way the lawfare system works. We're in a system of maritime law. And they understood, the creature class did, that if they could sever our tether to the land, we would not have any roots to make that claim of sovereignty. And also on a spiritual level, we would be very vulnerable to, let's just say their, their sinister agenda, which is to capture our souls, literally, and uh, cut us off from our direct connection with the creator. So let's get right in. So uh, um, I'm going to share a screen here. Uh, while we're doing this, you know, the with the maritime law versus, sorry, okay, here it is. Versus uh, law of the land. Yeah, maritime law brings us out of uh, Article Three courts uh, that were established by Article Three of the Constitution for fair, expedient trials and equal justice for all. And it brought us into a system of commerce that we think is law, where we cannot even have our cases heard in a constitutionally mandated court. So again, they need to take us off the land at any cost. And that brings us right into our talk today, which is reuniting with the land. For the cover here, I used uh, a slide from the movie that uh, the Iconics uh, David Icke family did on us and our farm here. And uh, myself, Mike, uh, the whole Alpha Beta crew, my wife and uh, my son are all prominent players in it. They did a great job and we're really appreciative for them taking notice of us and and doing this and uh, we just might have a part two someday. So first slide here is the bioterrain in agrarian renaissance. Now the bioterrain is a terminology that can be used for medicine. It can also be used for agriculture and permaculture farming. And as I mentioned, the biotrain is much bigger than what most people think of as biotrain medicine these days, which is something that just counters the germ theory and uh, allows us to get into an understanding that you know you treat the body, not a disease and not a germ. So we talk about that at length on our channel here. And what we have to understand within bioterrain uh, medicine, which I'm gonna address on the very last slide today, is that, that just like a permaculture farm needs to address all the many levels of what really constitutes a bioterrain. And let me read another little quote here by one of my favorite folks. Uh, his name is Paracelsus, who is a renowned alchemist and a genius of old. And he stated, as nature is extremely subtle and penetrating in her manifestations, 
She cannot be used without the art. Indeed, she does not produce anything that is perfect in itself, but man must make it perfect. And this perfecting is called alchemy. So this realm that we inhabit, not suggesting that the creator doesn't know what he's doing and created imperfection, but we are within this realm in order to make it better as co-creators. That's our role. And the early alchemists understood the principles by which the entire realm works. And then they mimic these principles in a laboratory. It's exactly what I do in our uh, laboratory here on the farm. In order to do exactly what nature does, only stepping up the timetables. Alchemy is another word for transmutation. All of life is in flux. And when we were brought into chemistry, which is half the alchemical equation that brought us into more of this reductionist linear mindset of materialism, we lost this whole understanding of the qualitative side of reality. So it's up to us to regain that. And that's in fact what we're doing. It's what the early alchemist, uh, you know, left uh, ample breadcrumbs for us to follow in the same pursuit. Yeah, we're okay, talking we about go. straight up hermetics here. So let's talk about permaculture and what I really prefer the term holistic permaculture, because permaculture the way I learned in my formal training at Oregon State University was pretty much just soil and things on the ground and the basics of growing and how to design, uh, you know, an intelligent farming operation within the habitat that you find yourself in. Holistic permaculture, however, goes beyond to encompass all that's above our heads and how the creative principles that the early alchemists understood are operating every single moment in order to project the next frame of the bioterrain. I'm here down on the farm and I have my hands in the soil every single day, but at the same time, we never lose sight of how that soil got there because that gives you great clues as far as how to grow things effortlessly, how to create um, good soil for the next seven generations, and also to have nutrient-dense food with a very minimalistic approach relative to fertilizers and, and amendments, uh, organic or otherwise. So alchemistry, uh, we'll call it, you know, we have a little circle there, and it's following the um, icons that are used in uh, alchemy for the four elements. So alchemistry is about evolution and evolution is, um, if you look up the term, it really means how nature develops in spirals. It literally means to spiral. And then if you just hyphenate the E for evolution, now it takes uh, Darwin's linear evolution based on non-reality into the real chemistry of life and how life creates through waveforms 
that manifests through spiral motions. And everything that we see from the soil on the ground to the food on our table, again, is a frame by frame um, manifestation of the idea. And the idea is that original electrical event that gives birth to the whole manifestation process. And since mankind is capable of individualized thought, uh, that is proof uh, prima facie that we are co-creators because only thought can create those manifestations in the first place. Uh, this is right out of Walter Russell and a lot of the greats and the alchemists and the ascended masters and all the teachings of all time have told us the whole thing and they're trying to give us a clue to get back into our full potential and power. So wow. this wheel that I created here, go ahead, Mike. Uh, just the idea of how evolution has been completely inverted <laughs> and the fact yeah. that I, I never made that connection volution literally means a turn or twist about a center a spiral right mm -hmm. and then you put the e in front of it as in terms of electricity or energy or whatever and that's the energetic spiraling of life moving forward and down or compressing decompressing expanding compressing walter Rus russellian physics right there uh, Schauberger as well. Uh, I mean, you, you, you know, Keeley, everybody, all the greats talked about this. Uh, and uh, that's, you know, obviously in, in the nomenclature of today, for those that are quote unquote awake, they hear the term evolution and immediately go, no, no, not evolution. No, no. Evolution's bad. Well, no, evolution is essential. It is the core framework of how we move forward and how life works. That's pretty pretty brilliant it's a lot of words like emotion same thing it should be e hyphen motion uh, what we consider emotion are really feelings that are of a lower nature and in chinese medicine you even learn that what we think of as joy and happiness is really not true lasting peace um, that would give us a deeper level of true joy. Uh, so as long as emotions are going through our, our body, it keeps us, um, you know, from rising up through the octaves to reach that point of stillness. So when you look at emotion, motion is really what our feelings should be about. And as long as how we feel is in constant motion, then it never is allowed to dwell in the nether regions of our anatomy, uh, you know, and become lower toxic emotions that create all of our problems. So as long as things are in motion, everything's good. When we have emotion, that means that motion is stuck, might be stuck in your solar plexus. It might be stuck in your sacral region. Uh, any of the lower regions, which are not bad, but just regions that regulate our body, you know, and functions from different levels. Uh, uh, you know, we don't want feelings being bottled up there because then they will take on the taint of those basic survival kind of instincts that are regulated by those lower regulation centers, starting with the root chakra. So emotions, same thing. 
And all these words, that's why, you know, we always make a big deal out of paying attention to what words really mean. So the holistic permaculture design, and it's what we've uh, created here at the farm, begins with chemistry. Because chemistry, again, tells us how matter precipitates and how we can take advantage of that knowledge and become co-creators and grow things and manifest things in much more magnificence than if we don't understand nature's ways. And if we uh, go around counterclockwise here, another part of the holistic permaculture design should be medicine. Now, that just happened to be my vocation for many years. And that's not to suggest that everybody has to become a doctor and get advanced in that way. But anybody living on the land, just as settlers used to, they understood what plants in their region were good for certain maladies. And they treated themselves. And then, of course, the closer you live to the land, you have less problems anyway. And all of our health problems all stem, uh, without exception, from being disconnected from the land and having synthetic overlays that screen out uh, the real energetic patterns that come at us from the earth up through our feet and from the heavens down through the top of our head. So medicine is really part of this holistic permaculture design towards self-sufficiency. If you can't understand how things work and how to take care of your own body, then you're really not that self-sufficient. Now, continuing on, agriculture, of course, is the foundation for everything. And that's why uh, our Alpha Vedic project here is grounded in agriculture. You know, we aren't just selling stuff. Uh, or talking about it, we're actually growing things and out there working every day. And the whole principle of our agriculture and it's our uh, charitable trust, you know, it's our mission statement, which is seven generations. So everything we do, just like the Native Americans, you know, who coined this concept, I believe originally, they didn't do anything without careful consideration of how what every action they took would. Um, either benefit or alter the generations for seven down the road. That's uh, that's a just a good practice. And especially when you understand the reincarnation wheel, you know, you might just be one of those seven generations down the road that has to pay the price for something stupid, uh, you know, you and your peers were doing prior. So continuing on here, the final wheel of the holistic permaculture design is commerce. And commerce creates a currency. We want to, of course, broaden our concept of currency beyond just money species, but currency as far as real energy. We just happen to have made money a real big deal. So we can't right now all of a sudden decide it isn't such. And we have to provide for ourselves, and especially like us living off grid out here uh, and, you know, fending for ourselves, uh, it's expensive. So if we don't have a way to self-fund and we don't want to go for government grants or anything that has uh, anything attached to it, we want to be totally unencumbered. So the commercial arm, uh, everything we grow, you know, it goes through lab, we make medicine, uh, you know, puts food on our table. 
and then uh, uh, certain things that we grow purposely in order to make products that drive the commercial arm. And it completes the wheel and allows us to, to keep the wheels on the wagon for another day. And right to the right there is a little aerial of our farm. Uh, it's our original orchard. Now, this picture is about, oh, at least three years old. And so we've developed quite a bit since then. But uh, if you were to see um, drone shots of our whole farm, you would notice a lot of uh, planting beds that are all designed, uh, you know, relative to biogeometry with uh, certain numbers of, of uh, you know, rocks or borders that create certain residents in certain geometric forms and so forth. So it's really cool to see it from the from the uh, air. This is the only one I had available on the fly here. So this is our again our original. Uh, orchard area uh, to the left here you see the shade cloth and that shade cloth is covering the very first jaugulon vines that we grew and that really produces wonderfully right there and we have uh, now these trellises and big hedges of jaugulon uh, which is a, a wonderful adaptogenic herb growing all over the farm yeah, so let's the, the, go on the, to the next the, slide the berry patches have are way more full than those pictures now. Like it's just way more abundance now as, as everything's taken off. Uh, on that circle of that cycle, though, I think the commerce angle, uh, the, the commerce that completes the circle is so important. And it's something that I think gets skipped by a lot of permaculture uh, classes and concepts. And it's, you hear so much about people who farms that fail, uh, uh, homesteads that fail because they have no means to um, fund themselves. And yeah, and you know, money of course is just a proxy, right? It's just a, what we currently use, but I do love the term currency because I do foresee a future where uh, the money species that we've depended on, even gold and silver per se, uh, aren't really um what will be used in the future as it was in the past as well so uh i think that's an extremely important aspect and what we're talking about here is self-sufficiency right this is a self-sufficient model uh where you have the means to create the core components then of course create what is needed to stay healthy or to uh, maintain the physical terrain of the body then of course to feed to feeding and, and create um, product. And then of course, to pass that product and, and actually accept then of course, uh, from others, uh, it is a beautiful, beautiful system. Yeah. And, and of course, that's one of your areas of expertise is uh, developing systems to exchange that currency in private without any middle folks uh, laying claim to it. So um, with what you're doing over on the other end with Quartal, that's why it meshes so perfect with our whole agricultural process here, because, you know, media and, you know, getting our message that we want to get out to the world is very important, uh, you know, to have media, have internet and uh, the Quartal, the, the concept of independent nodes, and uh, also to have different species of currency so that nobody can steal our energy and currency again just means energy and so uh no mistake as far as why the creature class uses certain terminologies they're farming us for our energy or our currency because 
they do not create anything of their own. They just steal from us. Indeed, as is the current fiat system set up to do. It literally is stealing out of your pocket every day through the secret tax of inflation. <laughs> uh, this is another great uh, quote here on the next slide uh, from Paracelsus again. One has to understand that the medicine must be prepared in the stars and that the stars become the medicine. That might sound a little mystical to some folks, but it's literally how it works. And if we look at our extended realm, which I consider the part of the has to be part of the permaculture design, and it also, uh, you know, is uh, the expanded concept of what bioterrain is, it's all electricity and everything from our simplified electrical systems in our houses to what's above our heads in the constellations is an electrical system. So we'll just uh, be real loose with our definitions here, but the concepts are very true. In any electrical system, you have three components, conductance, inductance, and capacitance. Conductance is that original source and conveyance of energy. Inductance is a way, uh, a pass-through from the conductance in order to modify that energy in a way that is useful for whatever system you're using the energy in. And capacitance are, is that part that collects the energy and stores it so that it can be used within that system that you design. And our entire realm is an entire electrical system based exactly on this model and nothing in nature um, has ever been improved upon or, um, or anything novel outside of nature is impossible because it all already exists. We just have to understand it, bring it forth and perfect it for our use for whatever we want to use it for. So conductance originates with the seven rays. Now the seven rays, uh, it's easy to understand these energetic forces. If you just look around, see seven colors of a rainbow, uh, you know, seven notes in a tonal field and so forth. These are the original attributes of the builders of this world. In the uh, Bible, they call it the, uh, the seven thrones uh, and uh, the yellow one that sit upon the seven thrones. And um, in Ascended Master teachings, of course, they teach that there is a definite hierarchy where the creator, you know, did allow the individualations of himself and that all of us are co-creators of our own little world, our own little universe. So it kind of makes sense that certain realms are under the charge of folks uh, much in advance of ourselves. So the seven creators create the seven rays that convey the attributes of each one of these individuals. And these attributes and aspects are talking about greatly, uh, you know, within many works. I've uh, been involved with this for a long time. And these qualities then are conveyed through the 12 constellations of the zodiac. 
And as uh, in Marty's book, you know, he talks at length about what's really going on above our heads there and what it means. But that seven rays conveyed through the 12 constellations uh, becomes uh, how we receive the resonance that then travels through the inductance level, you'll see down there, uh, which is the four etheric levels, or what some people refer to as the ethers. And in old alchemical terms, they talked about it in, in, in um, to suggest four different elements. And the four different elements, now with our Western understanding, we realize that fire is actually the hydrogen element. Get into Walter Russell, you see that hydrogen is that first one on the octave, on the carbon octave that is a portal and then goes through all in that octave. And uh, that hydrogen is also just coincidentally 33 degrees above a waveform horizon. Might be some uh, connotations here that have been borrowed by secret groups and everything. But when that enters that particular realm at 33 degrees, then that's where matter and things start precipitating that registered war five senses and we in reality have 12 senses and even though most of us don't use those we even don't use the full depth of our five senses but the 12 senses are literal extensions of the 12 constellations so our neurology in our body and this makes uh you know uh, this is of great import when you're practicing medicine to understand that that neurology constitutes one of the two polarities that make up our physical anatomy. And that neurological pole is literally an extension of the heavens that then grounds in on the earth through the precipitation cycle, that inductance cycle, and allows manifestation in our experience and in our bodies. So the air element is nitrogen and nitrogen will, the next slide will expand upon this a little bit. We're not gonna get too nerdy into this stuff. I just wanted to lay out a framework of, of why you know perhaps we might expand our understanding of what a realm or bioterrain is, because if you're just focused on dirt on the ground or microbes under a microscope, that's all good stuff. On the other hand, you're really not appreciating uh, how things got there, and it leaves you in a much more limited state as far as having solutions uh, to fix things. The water element uh, pertains to oxygen, earth, carbon. And then finally, the capacitance over uh, in the bottom right corner there, uh, that's that part of an electrical system that receives and stores energy. That happens in the four kingdoms. Now, the four kingdoms, mineral, plant, animal, and human. Each one of the kingdoms really is a precipitation along uh, one or three of the particular rays that we're talking about, the seven rays. So the mineral kingdom, and, and this would be a whole podcast in and of itself, is a manifestation of ray one and seven. We won't go into that, but it would make perfect sense how minerals represent those attributes. The same thing down next with plants, animals. Now humans, we have three rays, but in reality, the human um, encompasses or embodies all seven rays. And therefore 
embodies the totality of nature. And if people say, well, you know, humans are part of the of nature, well, literally, we are in resonance with every single part of nature from the very uh, inception from the seven rays as they step down and create the four kingdoms. So it's very important to understand if people doubt that perhaps we're in resonance with everything, all we have to do is realize that and then uh, you'll be talking to everything from rocks, plants, and animals and know exactly how they got there and what their purpose is. Now, in between the inductance and the capacitance, I just have a real simple diagram there, which is how when these energies that are conveyed through the etheric inductance system and then finally to the capacitance create a toroidal field. And that toroidal field is taking information from the original idea that went through that whole process, whether it's our individual idea or the overall ideas of the creator that you know created the canvas that we think of as nature, that compression cycle of idea goes in a centripetal fashion to compress data through the etheric substance and give the appearance of matter, but matter is nothing but motion frame by frame. Simultaneously, and we could explain the mechanics thoroughly here for you, but for now, we'll just appreciate simultaneously as data is being compressed into the appearance of matter, and it is a simulation, then uh, you have a radiation cycle, which would be considered the yin of the yang, uh, and that disperses that compressed data, raises it back up to its source for the next cycle of compression, and that happens moment by moment. Nothing ever moves in this realm. It's all the appearance of motion, and that appearance of motion is simply uh, depicts the idea of its creator, and it also is uh, motion is really um, uh, gives the appearance of manifestation in the first place. When we think of things moving, and our brilliant scientists say, well, uh, you know, the speed of light and you know, 186,000, whatever, um, it, light doesn't travel. It simply creates simultaneous events one after another that create the appearance of motion. And uh, that many, 186,000, is just the number, it's the speed at which these different frames are able to reproduce themselves to give the appearance that light just projected from point A to point B, but point A where the light originated is still right there, but then it creates a reproduction. And as Walter Russell says, we live in a sex-based universe where ideas and you know which create electrical vectors are constantly mating with each other and creating new vectors which happen at 186,000 miles per second. You, you broke up there okay. for a second. Um, Barry, you said uh, Walter Russell explained that this is a sex generated, right? You said sex. Yeah, so and sex in male. Go ahead. I was just going to say, so the male and female polarities uh, are doing the compression and decompression, if I'm right, which are then allowing for uh, what we 
think is the speed, the the wave of light. Because of course, you know, with quantum mechanics, they say where the wave compresses into the particle or whatever. <laughs> but <laughs> essentially, there is no photon traveling at the speed of light. It's literally the compression and decompression cycles of of what electrical vectors, as you're saying, as they pop into existence. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and when uh, when thought creates an electrical vector that then by necessity polarizes, it creates a dual light, which then mirrors itself to the ends of the universe. So the what we're talking universe. about is fractality in a way too. It's this exactly. Yeah, and we say the created universe. You know, the universe is not infinite; it's creating itself, and we're co-creators in that process. So it's constantly expanding through every single one of our thoughts that then mates with other thoughts and creates more of a far reaching effect, pushes the boundaries out, but it's always going to be limited because it will never stop creating itself. Ideas eternal, the manifestation of ideas temporal, our bodies that we consider ourselves of course, are not us, but the idea of our individuation is eternal. And that's why we are, in fact, eternal beings. And even though uh, we're in the habit of recycling our bodies and grabbing a new one, uh, you know, it's still the same old us. So uh, let's go through this slide very quickly. Yeah. I will, I will say this. I'd love to do an alpha cast on the seven rays specifically because I still um, am trying to sort of conflate that that with Walt Russellian physics and some other things we talk about and understanding, I guess, that these are what qualitative, there's a color attached to each one, um, right, if I'm correct. So there's, a, you know, how do they relate to light? What are they actually made of? What, you know, is this like plasma in terms of what we try to relate to, you know, quote unquote science? Anyways, I'd love to do a full deep dive on the seven rays. I, I think there's ample evidence that they are projections from plasma projections, we'll just say from real intelligence that is purposely creating the seven aspects attributes of resonance that then will allow us to mix and match and paint any picture that we want down here on the ground. And in medicine, one of the things that I did with many people is I did a seven ray chart what creates individuals in their uniqueness uh, relative to one another is the seven ray makeup. And when you understand the monad, which is the, uh, the ray quality that's above our head, and then we have a, a soul ray, we have a personality ray that's in turn made up of three rays, which have to do with the just like the, what the alchemist talked about, the three principles, which is our soul, body, and spirit. So uh, the more advanced we get, those, those three personality rays will merge into a single personality ray rather than separated into three. And then from there, we start integrating more uh, with the monad, which is our creator. And I know there's a lot of scuttlebutt out there that this is uh, either new agey or somehow United Nations involved, but it's not. Um, just like all good ideas and truths, they've been usurped by folks that either um, bastardize the information to the extent 
to throw us off course of what would be useful for us or to weaponize against us. So there's a lot to be said there. Now, and, um, and on one one last note on in the end, it's all about um, how this is practically implemented in life. And of course, you've practically implemented that in your practice and found to for it to work. So uh, it isn't just, uh, like you said, new age, uh, sort of conceptual thinking, this is something you've applied. And it has to do with the qualitative side of science. You know, Goethe, his whole methodology was to bring us out of the realm of being onlookers and be experiential empiricist. And with the advent of Galileo and, and all the folks that brought us more into what we think of as science today, uh, they created scientists as uh, detached observers and not really part of the whole process. That's why we think that we can create double blind studies and, and a lot of the things we do within the know that are very esteemed within the intellectual community but what we have to do as onlookers even though we're getting sensory data which is valuable we have to simultaneously use that metabolic pole which is our imaginative uh processes for instance, uh, Goethe did a, a, a lot around plants and what he called the metamorphosis of plants. And he would observe how plants develop. And he saw predictable steps that all plants went through. And, you know, this was very enlightening where you can see that all of nature unfolds in a very similar way. Different species kind of have a little unique bent, but it still goes through the same uh, steps. Now, science today will just look at those individual steps and isolate them and not really see the whole moving picture. So Goethe proposed that we um, look at those steps, but then use our imagination to see them as a whole and be able to uh, see them actually unfolding in our mind, which brings us more uh, out of the realm, out of just one-eyed onlookers, as he called it, and really start to appreciate how nature works in the first place. And, you know, living on the farm here um, and going through season after season, you see it unfold. So it's just, we know exactly what he was talking about. And the same thing when you're working with the body, you can't just look at elements, whether they're um, metallic mineral elements or biological elements, there is nothing that is fixed, just like our bodies, you know, we all look different than we did a few years back and everything is in a state of flux. And that is the big takeaway. Uh, there's never anything fixed. Everything is always in constant motion. And to be a complete scientist and actually find solution uh, or to create what you want to create, you have to understand that transmutational process, which is what alchemy is. That's why we make a big deal out of farms should really have an alchemy lab so that you can not only make medicines and things of a very high order, but also to demonstrate to yourself how nature works and prove it 
out in the lab. And also by participating in that, it is a, a very high level spiritual practice because now you are uh, taking charge of that transmutational process. You're in resonance of it. That's why that first quote from Paracelsus is important. You know, it's he says, you have to do the work. The work is, you know, you got to get your hands in the dirt. You got to go out in your lab and, and really, you know, go through the process. It's not an intellectual thing. It's experiential. And then that resonance elevates your own journey of the soul. Okay, so uh, quick here. We have, again, the four elements. We have the volatile elements and thinking about it in, in Western terms. Uh, nitrogen, which is the air element is the purest form of mineral concentration, uh, most abundant uh, in the atmosphere, hydrogen and nitrogen when they come together, uh, chemically speaking, uh, but also we could put this in alchemical terms is the first phase of conjugation. That means in the ethers, as these elements that are represented on the ground in these molecular structures, um, actually go through a conjugation with each other and start the first stage of precipitation. It goes down to the next level where you actually have a fermentation in the atmosphere. And we could talk about how, uh, you know, when the hydrogen and nitrogen now combines with oxygen, it creates ammonia compounds. And that has great import if you understand how these things work on the ground to create what we think of as the soil and our food and everything we need. And then you have the uh, inorganic elements that, um, uh, let me, I skipped over something. Ether uh, actually is conveying the resonance which creates geometry and, and function. So that's, that's very critical. So that's how the idea becomes manifest. And then we have what we think of as inorganic elements on the ground. Those play the role of being capacitors and they receive that resonance. So then when we have those in the soil, they're uh, taken up through the rootlets of plants, and then we take them in as food. We uh, get them in our bloodstream, and then that uh, uh, conveys the resonance that the cells of our body need in order to create every single tissue in the body. And going back to the 12 constellations above our head, there's a reason why those 12 constellations are um, considered synonymous with different organ systems, the 12 meridians and so forth. And that the whole time clock above us uh, represented by the constellations is an embryological unfolding when you go around counterclockwise and that, you know, depending on the time you're born and all sorts of things, then that uh, is uh, uh, very active in actually creating our physical body in the womb and who we are and the idiosyncrasies we'll have when we come out. Because when we're born at a certain time, there's a predominant resonance. And it's not just astrological mysticism, it's actually physics. So um, the inorganic elements are on the ground to capture that. And then the cells will use uh, you know, we talk about the 12 salt salts, but each one of those 12 main mineral compounds will be associated with a particular organ and so forth. So that's why it's important to have those in your bloodstream all the time. Now, um, I just throw in a couple little thoughts here, derivation of nutrient elements. When you understand this process, 
you will realize that uh, dietary speaking, 30% of our cellular nutrition comes from food and that's it. And in order to derive that 30% of our total energy from food, it takes energy in order to derive that energy. So it's kind of inefficient, but it jumpstarts uh, the whole process of how we get 70% of our cellular nutrition directly from the atmosphere. Now, doesn't it make sense that of all this, if, if, if you can just believe that all of this precipitation takes place in this way, why wouldn't our bodies be able to pick up that resonance directly and derive our nutrition from the atmosphere? I have a little mistake I saw there. It says uh, provide 70% cellular nutrition. Uh, that arrow should be going up. Um, that means we're getting a net energy gain because we're getting energy directly. And we're also doing it without the need to digest or expend any energy. So atmospheric nutrition is preferable. We're all doing it, whether we believe it or not. Uh, I don't care what kind of food you're eating. Um, you're still driving a lot of stuff from the atmosphere. The lighter your diet is, the less dense it is, then we actually can become more efficient at deriving our nutrition direct rather than having a animal or plant medium middleman I like to eat. And, uh, but you know, you can become a lot more efficient and healthier if you understand this whole process. So body chemistry and soil analysis, uh, I do, you know, many different tests, but one of the things that I've talked about before is finding whether I'm testing the soil or the fluids in somebody's body, uh, I determine the line of least resistance. So electricity as it travels through the body, you really want uh, a resistance-free uh, uh, transmission of energy or electricity. That's what they call superconductance, superconductivity. And the more resistance that you have just by faulty machinery and, and lack of knowledge, then uh, you know that resistance picks up and things don't operate as smoothly. You have more uh, problems. So when I take soil or body fluid uh, samples, then I put them in math mathematical ratios, which tells me the electrical vector. And rather than conforming to a recipe of what somebody's um, pH or conductivity or, or, or you know, uh, ammonia levels, or you name it, all the different things that make up uh, this whole equation, you determine exactly what that person needs in order or what that soil needs in order to reduce the line of electrical resistance and make things more efficient. And in the case of the soil, uh, we're able to take a very minimalistic approach as far as amendments and fertilizers and things, just do some tweaking along the electrical lines, see that resistance pick up. Not only do the microbes in the soil love it and become more abundant in the process, but then uh, also everything from worms to minerals, to you name it, becomes activated. You have a living soil that's compatible with the rootlets of plants or in the case of a body, 
The same thing with our internal bioterrain soil. The microbes are happier. Uh, we have more energy because we're not wasting energy. Uh, and we become uh, more in a regenerative process rather than an aging, decaying process. How are we doing, Mike? Oh, doing fantastic. Uh, I was just talking to FPV, who's in the chat, told him we need to have him back on. So that's oh, going to yeah. happen. I've been meaning to give him an email. Yeah, um, they've been busy. So, um, but on this note here, um, so much, so many comments. I don't want to get too off the uh, tangents because we got a lot to get through today. Um, one of the things I was just thinking of in terms of diet and Terry stuff is uh, the Anastasia book. She talks about literally how um, in the forest you can be inhaling pollens and just being fed off that. And I know that's a fascinating concept. And of course, pollens are a major food source that we are huge fans of uh, with Alpha Vedic as well as seeds as well uh, in terms of uh, the regenerative aspects of those. So uh, definitely worth looking into. Also, um, in terms of uh, the line of least resistance for soil, uh, a big buzzword right now is electroculture. Have you heard this? Oh, this oh. is, um, uh, no. yeah. Um, and people were asking me at the greater reset, if what's it, do we practice that and, um, any comments on that and any, um, also I would love for you, if you could share again, the title of the book for soil, um, for the soil, uh, analysis that you like to do. Um, I'm blanking on the title of the book right now, uh, for the resistance electrical stuff. Um, but yeah, any comments on the electroculture? yes he's getting the book he's getting books um and people are asking you know do we uh literally uh, inject the soil with electricity with certain types of you know um, copper rods etc yeah we do a lot of that sort of thing too but you've got to start with the soil itself uh my introduction to this type of soil science was through Kerry reams Yes, and he created uh, a system he calls um, biological ionization analysis, and I learned that at great depth to uh, be able to do these tests on bodies and in the soil. He's no longer around. He's considered the Tesla of soil, and just <laughs> like uh, Schauberger's the Tesla of water, right? Everybody's named after Tesla. Um, here's one of his books. Uh, I have a lot of his original notes. There's that better. Yeah. Biological ionization is applied to farming and soil management. I actually had this on our book list, but it was like a $500 book or something crazy. I saw it for like a thousand bucks recently. Uh, you can't get them anymore. They're out of print. Um, I've got other books that are his uh, original notes and you know just a wealth of information. So biological ionization is uh, the name of the science. It's the only surefire science I know that methodically has a step-by-step -step mathematical based system that actually works because you you know do a tremendous amount of testing and you see the results, you see the changes based on what you do and they all follow, um, you know, exactly the way it's supposed to work. If you have to, um, 
you know, increase the resistance in one direction or another or, or improve conductance or, uh, you know, any such thing that you should be concerned with. Um, you know, the before and after testing shows that this actually works. And I don't know of any other way to get that directly. With uh, Once your land is established uh, and your soil is healthy and it's teeming with organisms, then, you know, it's pretty much takes care of itself. I don't have to do a whole bunch here. Fortunately, our farm is in a place that's never been exposed to commercial agriculture, uh, industrial uh, manufacturing or anything. You know, we're out in the boonies here. So things are pretty intact the way they have been forever. Um, yeah, but that's that. And let me go back. Uh, any other uh, things? I think it would be cool to do on our new community platform. I have some discussions for those who are just getting their land settled and may be in a place that has been extremely toxic or in an urban environment, et cetera, and remediation practices to get the soil back to a much more vital um, resonance and then some literal just, you know, modalities they can use um, to, to do that. Um, the electroculture, the soil analysis, um, implosion techniques, of course, water plays a massive role, et cetera. Yeah, we'll do our, you know, um, over the months ahead, we'll be doing our small workshops here on the farm. We'll film them and then that'll go up in the members section like we've already done a couple of times yeah. that nobody's seen yet. but very soon <laughs> okay sam was just asking so, uh, in, uh sam was just uh -huh. asking in chat would love to hear bear talk about high bricks gardening i don't even know what that is high dash b-r-i-x gardening so i don't even know what that is sam you're way more cutting edge than i am <laughs> so uh bricks reading is um sugar how much sugar oh is in yeah. things well, so this is a um, refractometer that allows you to get the sugar reading. And sugar is also a big part of electrical conductance along with salts. So it's an important reading. And if you go out and you know take a sample of lettuce or an apple, it doesn't matter if the sugar isn't extremely high, it's got no nutrition. So, uh, you know, it's, it's not just sugar to make things sweet, but just naturally, uh, you know, natural occurring sugar in your vegetables too. So uh, this is a real important little instrument. It's very easy to use. You just put a sample there and uh, you look through here, point it at the light and you can see the reading right on the screen inside. So cool. that I think is what Sam's talking about with high brick farming you want that brick reading way up there if the sugars are low all the nutrition is low very good to know i just uh, go from a very remedial mindset of just really good nutrition in the soil and now learning about soil ionization and luckily my carrots have been full of sugar so must be doing something right but um, that's really cool thanks for explaining that or you could just put a lot of sugar on your cooked carrots. Yeah, my kids would love that. Well, you know, honey dipped <laughs> carrots. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> just kidding. 
I know you hear. Okay, so course, what, uh, one, I would say one more thing. Like a lot of people, I mean, my father included. I know your dad. You're probably listening to this. Um, are on like a no sugar diets, but it's it, interesting to know that nature actually sugar plays a vital, vital role, of course, uh, in the health, especially of um, <clears throat> of agriculture in agriculture. Yeah, big part of the whole Krebs cycle and energy production, ATP, all that kind of good stuff. You need sugar, but you don't want concentrated sugar or, um, you know, too much. Uh, you know, natural sources like honey and everything are great and they're, they're whole foods, but you know, you still don't want to overdo it. And then of course the synthesized sugars, even a lot of the stuff getting health food store, not that great. So uh, next bio terrain uh, here we have, we have applied spagyrics, you know, spagyrics, people that are just starting to get familiar with that term. We think of spagyrics as making plant medicines. Uh, actually, when it comes to the spagyricism, associated with medicine plants are you know a big deal but mineral medicine is is uh, equal or maybe even more well not maybe but more powerful and that's because minerals have been you know they stay on the transmutation transmutational wheel or cycle for more extended times than say a plant in a single season so they accumulate a lot more resonance and other goodies so that if you take that in your spagyric lab and uh, know how to make medicines out of it, then it's extremely, extremely powerful. Uh, but um, you know, one of the offerings uh, we're just starting to do now is uh, making plant spagyrics available. So the spagyric process is about understanding the three states of uh, being and in the lab, or if you're practicing medicine, or even doing soil science, you know how to separate those three parts, purify them, and then through the process of recombining or what we call coabation, uh, you put it back together in a much more elevated whole. And uh, what's the quote I have here? The transmutation of body in alchemy, we call that salt, soul, suffer, sulfur, um, spirit, mercury are predicated upon a working knowledge of universal principles combined with spagyric technologies. So applied spagyrics is uh, just that. It's uh, applying this process to whatever you're doing, not just making a plant tincture. And uh, the separation process is you have three states of matter, which is spirit, soul, and body. You have three generative qualities, which is wet, hot, and dry. Uh, we left cold out because cold does not regenerate, even though it is <clears throat> one of the four um, attributes. And then we have the three constituent principles, which are more those deeper energetics related to the three states of matter. They're the animus behind the matter and so we separate those and we do that with chemical processes in the lab we purify them in different ways and then we recombine them and in the case of a medicine when you take that now you are getting the entire uh continuum of the creative process in a very purified uh elevated form and it's going to work on all three levels of your being in the process uh, cyclic transmutational flux. So we have uh, 
the four kingdoms there, uh, while microbial, uh, technically not part of the plant, but just these three categories, um, they're all going through a continuous progression through tonal fields within octaves. So if you were to look at the periodic table of elements where we think, okay, carbon is just sitting there by itself and, and it's forever carbon, well, that's, that's not true. And it's always going to be transmuting to the next one in that octave. And then finally, uh, you know, enter the next portal uh, uh, after it goes through those tonal fields, enter the next portal into the, the next highest octave through one of the um, noble gases. And that's the Akashic records for each octave. And then it takes on those informational fields that all come from the sun originally. And after it picks those up, then they are able to transmute themselves through the next seven tonal cycles. And uh, the microbes do the same thing. So, you know, that created quite a cur uh, kerfuffle there in the medical world when some of us were out there saying that microbes don't cause disease. And uh, because we understand that microbes are those little endobionts or helpers in our body and in the soil. And if something is decaying or not healthy, then those microbes will just right before your eyes, if you're looking at them under a microscope, uh, morphologically change. And in that change, uh, be able to deliver a certain function relative to um, getting rid of uh, toxic decaying matter in your body, uh, regenerating things, uh, stimulating, um, uh, stem cell production for regeneration, all sorts of things. And so again, it goes into this understanding that if you have a little infection, as we like to call it on your skin, and then the doctor does a little swab there and says, oh, you have staphylococcus. Well, he's not appreciating that that particular um, staph bacteria is just the bacteria phase of another organism that lives in our body it happens to be called penicillin notatum. And if they were to uh, put that under the microscope and change the environment of that sample, they would uh, see it go through fungal phases. They'd see it go through full circle to uh, uh, enter what we call colloid, chondra, bacteria, so forth, and a lot of things in between. And so, of course, if you have a so-called infection and then they uh, culture it and find somebody at the scene of the crime, then you get blamed. And that's what our medical system and uh, based on germ theory is all about, circumstantial evidence. And, you know, if they got results and if the population just kept getting healthier and healthier, uh, you'd say, well, okay, we'll give them a pass. Maybe they don't get some stuff, but they're, they're you know, doing some good things, but everything they do based on this false uh, paradigm just keeps getting people sicker because you're actually taking measures to deliberately interfere with these life cycles, kill them. And then you, you know, down the road, uh, not only have recurrent infections, but you also have um, unabated cancers and neurological degenerative disorders and all the things that we see in epidemic proportions that I never saw in the beginning of my career, but are rampant now. 
And the same thing, plant and animal goes through their cycles and, you know, mankind does the same thing. Now, mankind, because we're individualized co-creators, our whole life cycle is about the spiritual expansion of the soul. So we've got a little bit more at stake here because we can become conscious of this process, unlike the oversouls of different plant species, animal species, and microbes, and so forth. Now, uh, holistic permaculture. Again, we already mentioned, we're talking about seven generational farming. We have the alchemy lab, which is a place where you need to go in and make stuff and test things out and learn. And uh, the biotrain medicine, um, you know, we already mentioned is uh, not about treating germs or disease. So we're getting a little bit into our farm here. And uh, so here we are at Alpha Vedic Gardens. This was a picture from a couple years ago. I think you were actually there that day when we took this picture. And, uh, you know, it's part of a video that uh, is on our website homepage. But um, a healthy populace and the advancement of society are determined by the vitality of the soil. Okay, very true. Now, permaculture design, um, you want to not just take a course uh, and be all intellectual about it, you know, that's good. You can get some good ideas. But the only way to do true permaculture design is to be on a piece of land, whether it's your backyard, your apartment patio, or um, or on a farm, and just experiment and let different uh, plantings and orientations reveal themselves as far as what they like. When we first moved on this last farm we're at, uh, we're in our seventh year now, we had all sorts of ideas as far as what we do. You know, when we, when our feet hit the ground at first, we, you know, we started pointing and saying, okay, we'll do this over there and such, but it's all changed. And, you know, we knew better, but it's nice. You just kind of brainstorm. But then over the seven years, the land tells you exactly what goes there, uh, where, what you need to do. And so you really have to develop that Girta method of observing, not being in your head, but just uh, let the truth come through uh, directly from nature when you're able to be there and really watch the patterns uh, that transform things right before your eyes. And then also, um, yeah, we'll just leave it at there. Uh, ionization soil analysis, we already talked about that. So that's a big part of our permaculture design. Uh, we also use uh, vortex teas. You know, I have a, a unit that creates an implosion effect. Uh, it was uh, based on Victor Schauberger technology. And uh, it structures the water. So it's a big um, cone type of shape with uh, air being pumped up in configurations to create an implosion, not just a swirling like a blender or something, and recreates what Schauberger um, learned from just watching trout stay stationary in a moving water medium. And um, the, the thing that's great about these vortex units is I have a biodynamic uh, formula that I put in it, which is um, not super concentrated, but it has all these elements. And when you 
put them within this implosion chamber, it really, uh, the, the water itself, because it's being restructured simultaneously through the method, it picks up the informational fields through uh, mineral, minimal amounts of the nutrients that we put in it. And at the same time, it creates an abundance of organisms. And these organisms in a vortex unit um, multiply fantastically compared to if you're just making a nutrient tea by putting a little bubbler in there, which a lot of uh, cannabis growers have learned works pretty well. Now, if you uh, combine the vortex technology, you, you get uh, a lot more benefit, a lot more organisms and the um, nutrients go a lot longer way. A lot more we could talk about. Uh, soil level, uh, we like to do composting buckets in every planting bed. That means instead of just having uh, one central composting, you know, we'll create these uh, below the surface of the ground and a strategic part, part of the planting bed and with holes in the bottom. And then we just go throw our, stuff in there and uh, throw, uh, you know, little dirt or sawdust and other things in there. And then it uh, not only decomposes to make good soil out of the compost, but also it produces an amazing amount of worms. And then uh, the worms, after they make soil out of the compost, they crawl out the holes in the bottom of the bucket and populate your um, your soil with worms. So you've got the soil organisms, which you got to get in there first because they break down all the mineral elements and things. So they're available to the rootlets. And then you have the worms that condition the soil. And I'm just throwing out a few ideas. You know, we do a lot more than this, but these are just the basics. Yeah, and worm, uh, uh, then we, call them, uh, we call them worm towers. They're amazing. Okay. Yeah. Uh, then, you know, Food forest is a concept that's popular within or term popular within the permaculture circles. So you create compatible uh, guilds or communities of plants. And it's usually a lot of planting around a tree or several trees. Uh, and you you just understand what likes to grow in the same neighborhood and, and support each other. And you get an abundance of food as well as all the other good things that you're trying to do in the soil. And uh, one thing that we have uh, that will be up in our membership site, we had a um, workshop here where our local mushroom expert came and taught us how to create giant mushrooms within these forest beds, uh, food forest beds, and not only to provide a great mushroom for edible food, but also uh, the mycelium in the food forest really helps create healthy soil and even though everything's dormant out in our yard now uh you know things are actually starting to bud already we've seen some little jagulan poking their heads above the soil but um you know all winter these mycelium break things down so for the next growing season you've created an amazingly uh rich soil with the mycelium and uh, really a great way to provide more food and at the same time uh, spend a lot less money with fertilizers and things that eventually, if you don't know what you're doing, even with organic fertilizers, you'll start burning your, your planting beds out. Uh, yeah. The, the last uh, things that workshop, ahead. that workshop we did, um, with Levon, 
or Levon, Levon uh, Door, um, that actually we posted a, a video of that on Instagram and it's gone completely viral because he makes a funny joke that mushrooms aren't <laughs> vegan. <laughs> And we have <laughs> yeah. now some insane amount, like 369,000 views on that video. You're kidding. That's crazy. Uh, and, and what's cool is he talks about how the mushroom inoculation under fruit trees not, is really powerful for protecting it against uh, pests and um, certain harmful pests that uh, the mushrooms will go and feed on them. And, uh, and then of course, create the, uh, the, I guess, what is it? An anabolic, uh, uh, you know, uh, digestion or whatever that, that, then they spit out or to fertilize the, um, the ground. And then of course, what we inoculate it with are edible. So you actually get a food source too. So not only are you providing the mycelium and all the benefits of the uh, of that aspect of protecting uh, the fruit tree, but then you also have a protein source that you can eat. I think it was shiitakes, I, or you know, there's a number of different mushrooms yeah. you can do it with. Pretty awesome. Pretty amazing. And then also uh, one more on thing with slide. the food forest ahead, bear uh, is this idea of stacking functions, of course, and also uh, right. the idea of um, going vertical. So you have like seven different layers of going up from underneath the soil all the way to the canopy. Uh, like, for instance, I like with my gilding, even having vines going up certain trees uh, and you can use the trees as, you know, <clears throat> basically vertical planting places. Uh, so there's a lot of really nifty stuff you can do in food forest specifically. That's really fun. And I just want to say, have fun with it, guys. I just, I don't get so caught up in all the technicalities. I, I want to learn more. I'm there. I, I was on chat. I was going to say, I'm going to come and photocopy or I'll scan that uh, Carrie Reams book and make it into a PDF for our members. I think that would be pretty cool uh, if you're down with that and um, start to actually get a little more technical. But I intuitively farm and garden a lot, getting my hands in the soil. And the key is just start, right? Just start and, and have fun with it. Um, continue. Yeah, we'll make that available at a discount uh, at $999.99. <laughs> so um, the last thing here is qualitative testing. And this gets into your uh, radiesthesia technologies, biogeometry most prominently. So uh, we're now creating a new area around our new business buildings. And uh, uh, we're digging holes, uh, which is one of my favorite things uh, to, to put in uh, new fencing around it. But that's gonna be more um, a different kind of vegetation, but you know we're gonna be planting trees and such. And so we, you don't just go out and stick a tree somewhere. We find out where that tree wants to be. And then once we find that spot, we also will uh, find the best orientation, you know, as far as which way it wants to face. And, and uh, it's amazing how big of a difference that makes when you take the time to ask, <laughs> hey, where would you like to be? Beautiful. Okay, the Alchemy Lab. Uh, we won't. We we've um, gone through a lot of these concepts. Just a little picture there. We've done a couple podcasts in the lab. That's just uh, one half of the lab there. So you can just kind of see how we're laid out. And and again, I I believe it's such an integral part 
of the practice of agriculture and medicine. I don't know what I'd do if I didn't have a lab. Um, it's so important. And we're, um, this was newly built at the end of last year. And uh, I've already got a lot of things going through the first phase of uh, processing right now with different herbal varieties. And uh, then uh, a couple months down the road, I'll start bringing things in here and putting them, putting them through soxic concentrations and distillations and uh, calcinations and all the things that are uh, you know, part of the spagyric process. And we'll have our first offerings out very soon, probably maybe mid end of March that are going to be spagyric salves for the external body. And uh, anything you see on there you want to talk about or should we move on here? Oh, sorry, I was muted. Um, no, I mean, I think uh, it's that alone right there is a full alpha cast. So <laughs> it's um, pretty important stuff. And of course, we said that this is the year of the alchemical transmutation. So uh, I guess I need to get a lab going. You do. Or, uh, of course, just use this one. Yeah, I will definitely, you know, it'd be fun. I definitely will be coming over and using that one, but would be fun is maybe in the, you know, in the new community group, uh, having a section where we can help people uh, just kind of get the basics down so they don't have to shell out thousands and thousands of dollars with all this really um, insane, awesome laboratory equipment. But what are like the yeah, bare we... bones things one should have, you know? Yeah. And, you know, you can do... Um which um, our friend Robert, the alchemist, uh, says uh, he does, he, the, one of the most knowledgeable guys on the planet with this sort of stuff. And um, he does guerrilla alchemy. So he's, uh, he doesn't have all the fancy equipment I have, and he just uh, fabricates his own stuff out of things he finds at the hardware store. So there's an amazing amount of things you can do and not have to drop all the coin that we did here. Last slide, Mike, and I see why uh, we're coming up on two hours, and I see why I didn't get through this in a half hour at the event. Yeah, right. I would love to okay, have Robert. Um, uh, I would love to have Robert on the show. Um, I just had gotten a couple alchemy books, and I noticed he had written the introduction when I was trying to find it in my library real quick. Um, that would be really fun to do a deep dive with him. Yeah, Robert Bartlett, in case anybody wonders who we're talking about. Yeah, he's. Uh, I've learned a tremendous amount uh, from him over the years, just reading all his books and everything. And fortunately, I came in with uh, a little background in traditional chemistry, having endured all the different medical here's, training. Here's the book I got. Believe it or not, I got it at... Um, a normal normie bookstore it's uh, the alchemist handbook uh by freighter right. Al albertus with a new forward oh, yeah by, it's a classic yeah robert allen uh, bartlett wrote a new forward for this yeah. new edition um so uh definitely would be cool to reach out to him and do an alpha cast with him 
Yeah, I don't know if he makes himself available for things like that, but I can I can find out. So last slide here. We'll breeze through it because this because this could take a long, long time. This is the system that I created uh, for medicine for treatment. Now, of course, I learned from a lot of people not taking credit for any single component, but I did figure out on my own how to put it together into a cohesive whole so you aren't just doing kitchen sink alternative medicine and seeing if this herb works or that herb works. You know, there's a, a way to go through all the different uh, uh, elements of somebody's being. And uh, right off the bat, uh, this is especially important in treating human bodies that you understand that the human body is a composite of these uh, electrical attributes and aspects that start with the seven rays and the 12 phase coherence field uh, from the constellations. And that literally makes the unique characteristics uh, that each of us have within our own anatomy. And if you don't know this, uh, I don't know how you could possibly practice medicine. So <clears throat> over here in the left-hand column, we have the assessment. And we'll just highlight a couple things. Uh, first thing I would do is measure the troidal field. Now, the troidal field, I would have different radiesthesia uh, instruments. And remember, uh, way back in one of the beginning slides, we have that toroid diagram where we talked about the compression and the radiation cycle, where the human anatomy is a toroid. Every cell of our body is an individual toroid. And what you want to look for and what I was able to do uh, with radiesthesia is understand if there was a good simultaneous and uh, equal exchange between the compression and radiation cycle, if there were distortions in uh, any of the uh, east-west or north-south uh, poles or northeast-southwest, uh, you name it. And uh, depending what you find, that uh, would be correlated with certain things you might know that are going on in the lymphatics or the emotional body or a particular organ. Uh, you can even, without even talking to somebody, predict where they're having problems. You know, I could say to somebody, I bet you have a problem in your left shoulder. And they go, yeah, how do you know that? Well, it's right there in the reading based on the energetic blueprint. And uh, that's not hard to understand when you put this together. Now, ionization analysis, another thing that did, uh, I could chemically duplicate the same exact findings through chemistry and understand which of the, uh, the quadrants of the polarities were distorted and in which direction. So what's fun is you can get the direct energetic reading and then correlate it with chemistry. And you say, oh, it's telling me the same exact thing. Um, through radiesthesia, I'd also uh, look at all the planes and subplanes. I love biogeometry because it's been a refinement of a lot of the things that I used to do. Uh, the regulation centers, what people call the chakras. So, you know, you go through all these energetic elements and it paints a very vivid picture of what's going on. Now, if a person has a particular symptom uh, by the six stages of disease, you can tell a lot about what's going on with that individual. In the original Bible of Chinese medicine, they talked about the six stages of disease. Later on, 
uh, some German medical doctors came up with the exact same six stages of disease. So bottom line, if let's just say you're breathing our wonderful uh, aerosol atmosphere laden with neurotoxins and things, um, the body's normal elimination systems, if we aren't overburdened, will just get rid of those things on the spot and you'll stay in that first stage and stay healthy. You might have symptoms temporarily, uh, like what people think of as flus and colds, which is just, you know, yearly composting. And, uh, you know, just like nature does outdoors. Uh, but let's just say we're being overwhelmed every day with breathing in toxins, getting things in food, water, you name it, or just Wi-Fi, uh, you know, extremely detrimental. Um then you might overwhelm the normal elimination systems. Now you go into stage two, which means you're going to have uh, more elongated um, acute symptoms. Uh, if you go into the next stage and you still haven't taken any measures to alleviate the burden, then you know, you're going to go through six successive stages all the way to where those toxins become tattooed, literally pigmented, into your tissues. And then at some point, the body might say, we got a clean house. And to do that, we need to grow some cells, uh, you know, in order to bring in more oxygen to the area to arrest fermentation and turn this whole thing around. Um, and then, of course, you get diagnosed with cancer or some sort of thing. Um, so six stages of disease. If somebody comes in with MS, I know exactly what tissue is involved and what stage they're in. And that's really um, a valuable thing to understand when you're managing a case and you know designing a whole approach. Uh, the 12 meridians, which are the extension of our, or let's just say the conduit from our 12 senses that receive uh, data directly from the 12 constellations. Uh, we can tell uh, exactly how the continuity between the external and internal environment. That's what the 12 meridians are about. Now, you know, more than that, but, but basically um, it's, uh, are, are we operating in an uh, uninterrupted continuum with nature uh, in and outside of ourselves, or do those meridians need to be treated in order to you know improve that continuity seven ray analysis we talked about cerebral spinal fluid ex extremely important as far as all the functions uh you know that happen top down uh at the area of the optic thalamus between the pineal and the pituitary and the third ventricle uh you know where this uh fluid uh you know, it's manufactured actually not just that ventricle, but elsewhere, and then circulates up and down the spine. And it's responsible for just like water in a battery conducting energy, electricity. And uh, so, you know, uh, did very thorough osteopathic uh, evaluations to check that out. Live cell microscopy. Um, I just refabricated my room here to set up a, a brand new microscope. I had to trash my old one that finally was a little worse for the wear over too many years. So uh, with a lot of people coming to me now with problems, even though I retired a while back from active practice, I just need to know what's going on in people's blood uh, compared to when I used to look at it every single day. 
So, but this is a real important part of understanding where all the cycles of organisms in our body, where they're at. And uh, depending if one particular species is, uh, you know, stuck in a bacterial fungal phase or some such thing. And there's, this gets pretty deep as far as ways you can challenge the blood and figure things out, but you can tell uh, a lot about the inner terrain, what's going on there and why these organisms are in a particular state of morphology in order to do a particular job uh, helps tremendously. And uh, biological ionization analysis, we do that. Um, we also understand that symptoms are uh, a biological expression. And this gets into things like German new medicine, where we see that uh, biology is actually coming to the rescue of the psyche to let off pressure at that level. And we'll express what the psyche is uh, uh, suffering from and express it biologically to relieve that and then allow you know the, the journey of the soul to progress without being bogged down with that. Uh, then a very extensive orthopedic neurological exam. Uh, and you know, it, again, extremely important because when you see what the muscles and the skeletal system is doing, it tells you exactly what the organs, uh, those area of associated neurology are doing. And uh, that figures in very prominently. Uh, the modalities, uh, sorry, hang on here. So okay. um, basically, this is what you would do for clients that were coming yeah, every, in. Every single, every single person. Um, and people hit us up all the time um, asking where they can train in this modality. And, and it, I'll just reiterate this. There is nowhere right now. Like this is something you developed from all these different aspects of your, not only your education, but your inner knowing um, it would be great though, to be able to, um, get, keep getting this out. And for those that want to learn, have workshops and find others who are super interested in this to start really helping new practitioners learn this stuff. Yes. Um, one little glitcher. Sorry, Mike, hang on. And then of course, with all these, the whole point of this showing this too, um, is, with all these techniques and modalities and this understanding of um, you run through to understand the human body, uh, the human spirit, the soul, et cetera, we relate that directly to understanding the um, terrain of the ground, the soil that we're working on, the farm. Exactly. So just like anybody in the trades, it might sound like a long time learning all this stuff, and it kind of is. On the other hand, um, Oh, there it goes. Okay. On the other hand, uh, anybody in the trades is going to have to learn how to use a lot of tools and people that uh, take up this vocation of, uh, you know, the healing arts, then, well, you know, you can specialize and do a lot of good things. But if you want to do the work that I had to do, because people came to me with very um, serious and prolonged illnesses, you know, you have to be able to ferret through every part of their being and have the tools to create the reset. So uh, over on the other side, modalities, we won't go through each one of these, but uh, there's a whole list of tools that I would use uh, when it came down to the actual treatment. Uh, on a foundational level, even before I implemented more specific sequential resetting, 
Uh, there's things I do with everybody because if somebody has symptoms, number one, their cells are need to be repolarized. That means uh, electrically recharged, just like recharging a battery. We do a lot of techniques for that, including PEMF, pulse electromagnetic frequencies, uh, oxidative therapies to re-oxygenate because if somebody's having a problem, definitely they're low in oxygen at the cellular level. Uh, what I saw under the microscope, I could tell what um, microorganism cyclogenies were off, and then I would uh, administer isopathics to bring them back into balance, and then different drainage protocols uh, that would be not just taking detoxification herbs and remedies, but testing very precisely to see what that body you know, where it was bogged down, is it the biliary liver system? Is it the, you know, renal system? Is it the lungs that aren't discharging? Is the, are the, uh, is the skin itself, the pores clogged up, uh, you know, because they don't have enough um, uh, of a particular mineral salt that keeps those pores open so that you can uh, discharge uh, toxins through the skin, which is our largest uh, elimination organ. Um, so all those things I'd get going right away. And then we'd go into biocomputer processing. Didn't we do a, a whole presentation on this a long time ago, Mike? Well, we did one on the biocomputer, yeah. Okay. So uh, basically, you're using a very advanced system of neurology. Uh, it does require um, muscle testing, but it's not the kind of crude generalized muscle testing. It requires a, um, a background in medical neurology so that you understand uh, the way you test is going to um, activate or um, access different parts of the neurology. So if you don't know that stuff and you're just muscle testing, then you're going to be getting spurious results and, and that's not that great. Um, so when you do the biocomputer processing, you understand the neurology as a literal biocomputer. You understand the keyboard, not just muscle testing, but a lot of other parameters you use with the body itself. And you can prioritize the issues. You know, you can go to uh, 10 different doctors with a problem and, and, you know, get 10 different answers a lot of times. And, you know, I'm speaking more on alternative medicine. Um, and most of the time they're all right. Uh, and, you know, but why do you get different answers? Well, all that stuff that each individual doctor is tuning into is correct. But the real thing is, is it correct to isolate and address that now? Or like somebody in the trades that understands construction, realize that things have to proceed in a certain sequence in order for it to work. And then a lot of times, if you get things in the right sequence, not a lot of times, all the time, a lot of those things that are going on that you might you know, pick up in your assessment, just correct themselves when you fix the right one at the right time. So you get a lot more mileage for your buck that way. So you prioritize issues, you neurologically isolate. And just like on a computer, if you uh, wanna make changes to a Word document, you've got to get it up on your uh, desktop. You've got to open it and make it vulnerable to change. If you don't know how to do the same thing in the body, you can throw a lot of good treatment at it, but it may not be vulnerable to change. You have to expose it, 
expose the right thing at the right time, and then create the sequential resets, you know, in a particular hands-on session that I would do with somebody, I might uh, have anywhere from a dozen to 20 resets within a couple hour, uh, uh, you know, session and the resets, once you follow it and there's a whole process and get to the end treatment point, it could, uh, you know, uh, necessitate anything from acupuncture to sound therapy to, um, you know, herbal interventions to isopathics for microorganism populations, you name it. And then when you apply the right treatment, then you get a real-time reset. So you're not waiting to see if something changes. You actually make the change on the spot and can determine if it actually made uh, the change. Then you go on to the next step, the next step, and so forth. And that's why we were able to get good success. We didn't do um, recipe uh, type of treatments. Uh, you know, we did it in a very comprehensive sequential way. <clears throat> Mike, the, I think that's about and, all I've got. And the idea too would be you had the blood under the microscope and you say you have almost, you know, like you see the results right there. You would see it in the blood, even out of the body. Yeah, that's another way where you can get um, real-time feedback. You have that blood up there, as you described, and you might be doing an acupuncture treatment or a cranial sacral treatment or a visceral manipulation or something, the person on the table, and you actually see the blood cells respond to that. Yeah, that's amazing. Is that the last slide? That's it, I think. Yeah, that's it. So that's the, um, the alpha Vedic system here for uh, holistic permaculture. We take you through the soil, through the lab, and through the human body itself. And again, uh, if any of this seems daunting to non-practitioners, don't worry about it. Because if you're out there in your garden, uh, regardless of the size, you can grow things. You become very knowledgeable. You know, if you want to become knowledgeable in herbology, take 10 herbs and learn those really well. And then when you get good at them, you know, maybe expand it to 15 or 20. And that's going to take care of all of your needs. And then with a healthy lifestyle, just being outside, thinking double plus positive thoughts and uh, understanding that you have way more to say about your life, your body and your surroundings than anybody ever taught you. Uh, that's going to go a long ways to your journey for sovereignty. Amazing. Um, I love this. And for those listening on the podcast, we will have the downloadable slides in the show notes below. I'll make sure to get that up on a very easily accessible, I don't know, Dropbox or on just the Alphavedic website. So you can download this and you can follow along as you listen, because it is, uh, I think, a good visual to have. There's a lot of content in here. I mean, this last slide eight alone is a full alpha cast. There's so much we can dig into <laughs> from all these. And we've done shows, like we've said, on the biocomputer, on, of course, all the aspects of the pleomorphic cycle. Uh, and, you know, um, you mentioned isopathic remedies that relate to that. Uh, um, 
and in important stuff for us to understand. I was just looking at the aerobiosis chart from our good buddy Gaston Nasons here, looking at the old pleomorphic cycle. Um, but uh, yeah, a foundational stuff, guys. And we'll just be digging deeper and deeper on the new platform, which you no, know, uh, someone asked in the chat if it requires Cordal. No, this is going to be on our site, uh, which is a WordPress site using Buddy Boss, all hosted and encrypted on our own servers. Eventually, yes, it, it will be up uh, on Cordal as well when we launch QApps, and that'll be a redundant copy if they do try to start really censoring domains and which I do foresee happening probably and cutting down the ability to do commerce through more traditional gateway means we'll have Cordal there which is unstoppable and decentralized um, but I'm very excited to launch this and we'll we'll be really this is as um, someone in Anna said um, this is the Bear Lando Wisdom School <laughs> Um, but yeah, having uh, all of this information really digestible and easy to follow, and then also more importantly, I think, is being able to carry the conversation forward with all the uh, members in the community as we digest this, ingest this material, and actually expand and expound upon it too, because there is a lot of people in our community that have a lot to bring to the table to add to what you know, Bear, and it's going to be, that's really what science is all about, right? It's, it's about expanding uh, what we can and knowing what what is possible through um furthering the scientific method in the process of uh investigation observation and all that comes with that that is above and beyond just the quantitative measuring which current cult of scientism is uh, full, solely focused on and actually expanding into the qualitative side on the both sides of the cycle the, the life and the death side and what you describe is um in the truest sense, pure review. You know, it's supposed to be a community. And, um, you know, I have my experience and that's all I'm sharing. And as you mentioned, a lot of amazing minds and talent and experience out there. Uh, I'm especially um, looking forward to having our good friend FPV Angel back on with us because uh, they are uh, much more knowledgeable about the workings of the functional realm that we inhabit. And uh, I think he can add a, a great deal. I know uh, they can add a great deal on to um, how things work from the top down and affect us and, uh, you know, with real technologies. So um, looking forward to that. Indeed. Yeah. Uh, I think, you know, it's going to be so exciting uh, this year, really seeing a lot of this being implemented, right? We're on year four of AlphaCast and the transmutation year is upon us with your lab cranking and, and the community coming together in ways that we've never done before. I'm very excited to see people put this uh, into practice on their own land and start the agrarian renaissance. It is already started, but let's uh, keep it going. Um, more needed than ever as uh, <laughs> there seems to be a planned, um, you know, different, uh, let's say food shortages and egg. Now we have the egg shortage issue there. Um, all this nonsense out there as the centralized system is imploding uh, all around us. I guess it's my... Uh... I guess my girls out there in the backyard didn't get the memo because even though it's off season, they're still cranking eggs out there. 
Yeah, I'm actually um, brewing up some Brown's gas for my girls uh, to give um, them some Brown's gas water uh, today. And oh, you uh, aren't gonna you aren't gonna set them up with little birdie nasal cannulas? <laughs> that would be hilarious. Um, I don't think they'd be into that. I can barely. It's hard enough just to grab one of them. Um, but uh, yeah, no. Um, it's really exciting, man. I'm stoked on this year. I'm stoked that you'll be at Music and Sky. That's a dream come true for us. And um, just thanks to everybody for joining us today. Uh, any final comments, Bear, as before we shut her down? No, I'm uh, I'm outside. Yesterday we started work on our in-ground geothermal cold frame. So uh, I've got that about half dug. Then I have to construct it and. I got a little help with digging a few holes out for the new fence around the area. So, uh, yeah, I just want to get out there and get to work. Can I ask you on the geothermal cold frame? So you guys are digging uh, a trench into the ground and are you doing a, a tunnel as well? Yeah. So this is just a cold frame, not like a whole geothermal greenhouse. So, yeah. um, what you'll have above ground is just the, you know, the, the panels, the, you know, to let the light in and mm -hmm. then they lift up, but the, but it'll all be set in the ground. And then I just have a couple little conduits, you know, and, and, and four different directions uh, in the trench. It'll just pick up a little bit more cooling air as well as heating air, depending what season you're in. Yeah, that's a great idea. Um, I definitely want to uh, investigate, come over and see what you guys are up to and do that myself. My low tunnels have been great. I have these removable uh, low tunnel frames that I put on um, five or six of my beds and I'm loving it. I mean, I'm eating, I'm eating fresh greens all winter long here. It's uh, it's really good to do guys. Um, you want to get your, get your low tunnel cold frames going. Uh, for sure. Uh, and then of course, eventually we will have an awesome geothermal greenhouse huh, on the property there and be uh, yep. growing some tropical fruit, hopefully. That's right. <laughs> I'm looking forward to that. Okay, guys. Well, hey, thanks for joining us today. We love you and appreciate you. Uh, please give us a thumbs up, share with your friends and family. It really helps us out spreading this amazing knowledge, this practical wisdom. It's more important than ever that we come together uh, as a community and develop solutions for self-sustainability and for um, really creating the impact that we need to make so that we can move forward uh, and away from the great reset and towards, as my buddy um, bros, buddies, bros and Bush talk about the greater reset, which is what we're all about. And it is, we are, it is a reset, right? It's a reset from uh the this sort of materialistic uh i don't know spell casting that has uh, had people uh really under a spell for a long time and we're going back to the roots y'all but in a way that is also super innovative and evolutionary as we embrace the spiral so thanks guys uh we've got some great guests coming up um we mentioned marty Leeds. we got dan winner coming up um who else just some phenomenal uh deep dives and all Sean sorts Stone. of uh oh yeah we've got uh interesting we've got sean stone coming on the show i think that's even next week maybe uh let oh, me see it? um 
Uh, yeah, we got Sean Stone next week, Oliver Stone's son. You know, he's an intrepid investigator uh, looking into uh, all the alternative, um, uh, you know, different theories of reality and all sorts of fun stuff. I got to hang out with him in Miami last year uh, at an event. And he's a really cool dude. Uh, and, uh, it's funny. I was listening to a Jay Widener, uh, interview yesterday about the JFK assassination. And, um, I, you know, I always kind of went with the Zupruder film and, and I went with the idea that he was assassinated, but I am now fully convinced that that was a squib or whatever you call it on his cheek. He and his wife were in it. He was never assassinated. Um, he wanted to get out. And um, the Oliver Stone's film, of course, JFK, um, was the first film to to actually show the the, the high quality Zapruder. Am I saying it right? Zapruder, Zapruder film. You know the famous assassination film. And and Jay Widener uh, shows that they actually that Oliver Stone cut out two seconds of that, where they show the actual squib and the fraud of the assassination. And after that show, he immediately went on Joe Rogan and did some kind of damage control, uh, Oliver Stone. And uh, so it'd be interesting. I don't know if I'll bring it up to Sean, his take on that. That might be a little <laughs> challenging, but man, that Could is an delicate. interesting idea. And uh, of course, uh, so that means both uh, Dad and JFK Jr. are both alive, huh? I guess so. They're um, sipping cocktails, I guess, out in the Atlantic somewhere uh, on an island. From what from what I gather, or they're all on the other side of the ice wall where everybody goes from James Dean to Elvis. I don't know if any of those guys were killed. I think they all wanted to get out, and once you sign the contract, you're in. Uh, hence why uh, good old Paul is dead. <laughs> we've got we've got the other guy there. <laughs> uh, so, anyways, guys, um, we look forward to Sean. He he's not he's not bashful. He'll go down any topic. And oh, we also have Jason Reza Giorgiani coming on the show. I'm really appreciating his books. Um, and we'll go dive into some really fascinating theories he has about the state of the world, geopolitics, philosophy. That guy covers all angles. So we've been wanting, uh, we've had a lot of requests to have him on the show for years and working on some other really powerful guests. So Thanks, guys. Appreciate you. We'll see you next week. Have a beautiful uh, day and weekend. Remember to get outside, get your feet in the dirt, go plant something, get your garden going. Uh, Mother Nature is the best teacher. Go show her some love. And we love you all. We'll see you next time. Cheers.